This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be back. We haven't been back since January, so it's so lovely to see you all and worship together. We really do miss you. It's great at our new church, but we do miss you. We were with you for a long time, so it's really great to see you. Um, So today I'm going to be continuing the series on the gospel and what it means to me. I've spent a lot of time in the last five years discovering that the gospel is not what I thought it was. It's much better than I thought. But growing up, to me, the gospel meant evangelists and salvation. It meant an unbeliever deciding to trust in Jesus, being forgiven and getting a ticket into heaven. And we often simplify it that way to help unbelievers understand what they're getting into. And I thought the gospel was only focused on that first stage of faith. Now, there've been a variety of speakers, and so I'm just gonna kind of briefly recap what the gospel has been according to them. So, Caleb Pedersen talked about the good news of the power that's available to us within the kingdom. Jack said that the gospel is about a life of flourishing if we are willing to put Jesus on the throne of our lives. Joanna Moss told us that the good news of Jesus is a way to live with peace, freedom, and joy even when life circumstances aren't great. And then finally, Jess Pedersen shared that the good news is being able to approach God as family. That's a lot of different things, and it's very different to what I thought growing up. And I'm gonna say some really different things again today. Well, some different, some the same. Yet they all form part of the gospel. Everyone has presented their own angle on it because it is not one dimensional. Like a diamond, each angle is slightly different and beautiful in its own right. Ben, that is a great picture, thank you. Um, so each angle is slightly different and beautiful in its own right, and the diamond is more glorious as a result. The gospel is similarly multifaceted and glorious, and this fuller understanding of the gospel has changed me. I am different and I live differently. So to share what the gospel means to me, I'm going to be speaking on repent, for the kingdom of God has come near from the Gospel of Mark. Now, I appreciate that verse may not have good connotations for you, particularly the word repent. Uh, I was asking Shelley what she thought, and it might bring up images in your mind of someone stood on a street corner, wearing a sandwich board, shouting about hell and damnation, waving their Bible in their hand and telling people to repent as the end is nigh, and that they can be saved if only they would repent and believe the gospel. In his talk, Jack shared that the gospel simply means an announcement or proclamation, typically of good news. In the Old Testament, King David received the good news that his army had won the battle, and that meant he was still king and he was still reigning, so good news. Jesus announced his good news with the word repent. And so looking at what he chose to say is vital for us understanding the gospel better. Before I had my children, I worked for a recruitment company and I don't know what your perception of recruitment companies are. I can see a few wry smiles, Um, but they don't always have the best reputation. And I think it's probably because some people in sales roles can be quite aggressive in nature. Anyway, so I worked for this recruitment company and it was called Rethink Recruitment. Um, And later as it grew, it became the Rethink Group. They wanted to change the way that people viewed recruitment agencies and present a company that was professional, working hard for their clients and delivering a great recruitment experience for candidate and company alike. They wanted it to be the start of a change in how recruitment is seen. 
So, back to our verse. The word repent in Greek is metanoia. Um, Hannah talked about having fun, so if you would like a little Greek lesson, that might not be fun to you, it sounds fun to me. But the word is metanoia. Can you say metanoia? metanoia. I didn't hear you, give it another go. Metanoia. metanoia, well done. And it simply means to change your mind, to go in a different direction, or to rethink things, similar to what my recruitment company was trying to do. It's about rethinking what you previously thought and understood. In the TV series, The Chosen, which is all about the life of Jesus, there's a scene where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's been getting them to do some stuff and they don't quite like it and they're grumbling a bit to him. And he bluntly says to them, get used to different. And I love that. And I think that's probably the modern interpretation of repent. Get used to different. Things are not as you thought. John the Baptist, he preached that the arrival of Jesus changes everything if we repent. He said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. And then we read in Mark verse 1, Sorry, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' good news centres on this kingdom of God, which the theologian Dallas Willard describes as God's own kingdom, or rule, is the range of his effective will, where what he wants done is done. It's basically the kingdom is where God gets what God wants, where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus chose to announce his good news with four elements. So firstly, the kingdom is now. So this is the moment we've been waiting for. It's happening right now. The kingdom of God is within reach. So it's super close and accessible to you. Some older translations say the kingdom of God is at hand. And I never used to understand that, but it's literally the kingdom of God is at the end of your hand. So you can grab it and reach out to it and get it. Repent or rethink what you thought before and believe that this is the good news. So that's what the good news meant to Jesus. But why was it such good news to those people at that time? Through the Old Testament, we see a continual thread of longing from God's people. When will we get back to the Garden of Eden? When will we live under the blessing of God? When will God rule as king? And will we ever get to rule and reign with him as we were meant to? If you know Genesis 1 to 3, even a little, you'll know that God created the heavens and the earth and the pinnacle of his creation was man and woman. The first thing God did was bless them telling them to be fruitful and to multiply and asking them to rule and reign over the earthly kingdom for him and with him. God's will was to be carried out through the humans. But Adam and Eve didn't do what God wanted and instead trusted the words of a sneaky snake, as it says in my kid's Bible, who was out to ruin God's plan. So Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and ruling and reigning has been difficult ever since for humans. And the Old Testament is the story of God trying again and again and trying again to rule and reign, 
to bring his kingdom to humans through humans. So when Jesus spoke these words, he was tapping into the longing of the Jewish people and announcing it at a time when the Gentiles were ruling over them and they brought a rule and reign of fear, violence and injustice. The gospel Jesus announced was the return of the rule and reign of God on the earth, which, remember the Dallas Willard quote, is where God got what he wanted, and it was coming through a human, Jesus. And the gospel wasn't a one-time action at the point of being saved. It's the dawn of a new era of God's continual rule over the earth, starting when Jesus came and extending all the way through until today. And that kingdom looks like healings, forgiveness of sins, restoration of excluded people, freedom, casting out demons, miracles, raising the dead, the inclusion of us, the Gentiles, to the kingdom, justice, peace, mercy, love, grace. And Jesus invited the people to rule and reign with him in that kind of kingdom to help them as they learn to do it. He restored them to a deep and intimate relationship with God the Father, where they had access to him all the time. He offered rebirth into a new identity, revealing who they were created to be. And he gave them his spirit to keep them walking closely to the Father and bestowing power so that they could live out their purpose. The good news is that Jesus giving us relationship, identity and purpose both as a blessing to us, but also so that we can rule and reign with him. The gospel is so much more than a ticket into heaven when we die. But notice that Jesus didn't just stop there. He didn't stop at, hey, good news, people, the kingdom of God has come back. He didn't do that. He told people that such good news requires a response, a response of repenting and believing. They were a people who had lived out of the garden for nearly 4,000 years. They were physically and spiritually far from Eden. The previous human leaders and kings all chosen to rule had failed miserably. God's kingdom arrived in the person of Jesus, but they needed to rethink who God was and believe in his son, Jesus. The prophet Isaiah had spoken of a coming king, a baby upon whose shoulders the government would rest. But in later chapters, he reveals that this coming king will take the form of a servant. A servant who would be rejected by the ones he came to save, who would be abused, despised, and beaten. He was not some triumphant king riding in on a big horse, you know, with his shield in his hand full of victory and joy. No, he was born in a dirty little stable in Bethlehem. And he rode into Jerusalem on a tiny little donkey. There's no kind of victory in that, is there? He offered grace and mercy and kindness, like he was kind to people. Is that what you expect of an incoming king? He offered kindness to those who didn't deserve it. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. It's not what they expected, which is why Jesus had to come preaching on the need to repent and believe. Jesus knows that what we think and believe changes us. When Adam and Eve believed the sneaky snake, they were transformed and they took on his likeness. But when we believe God, when we believe God, we are transformed and become more like him. 
The disbelief of God in the garden is undone and made right each and every time we rethink and believe God. Think of the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, one of my favourite stories. When Jesus declared that he must go to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus accepted that as good news, as God and the kingdom coming near to him. Zacchaeus repented, believed and was instantly transformed. Look at what he says in verse 8. Sir, from now on, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I find I've overcharged anyone on his taxes, I will penalize myself by giving him back four times as much. What a change. His response to the good news was to rethink, be transformed by the power of God present and live differently going forward. He was one way, now he's another way. And so, to me, and what the gospel means to me. Being prepared to repent and believe God has brought about significant transformation in my life. But the transformation is always a work of the spirit. It's never me, it's not me, I can't do it. I can't make myself change. It's his work within us that brings about that deep, lasting transformation. And our job is simply to cooperate with him to listen to what he's saying, to be prepared to change my mind and believe what he says. So I'm going to briefly share a couple of things where the Holy Spirit has brought these things to my attention, encouraged me to repent and believe, and then I'll share how I live differently as a result of that repentance. As Jess Pedersen highlighted in her talk, the gospel is relationship-focused. We get to approach God as family And God has invited me into a deeper relationship with him, where I see him as he really is and not as I thought he was. And I've shared before in a previous talk that I always used to, yeah, my primary view of God had been as a judge, um, whose role was to pronounce me guilty. And thinking like that meant I kept my distance from him. I don't know if you would want to be close to someone who is just going to be like guilty, guilty, guilty. You wouldn't. And so I didn't. I did not want to be close to God. I kept my distance. But in a work of the spirit, I heard a talk by Katia Adams and her words really helped shift my perspective on God and his role in my life. It's a long quote, but it is absolutely worth it. We tend to view God through the lens of his characteristics. So we view him through the lens of creator or ruler or Lord. We we view him through the lens of king and so we approach him as if he's the king. We think those things are somehow more spiritual than him being a father, or somehow those things are more important than him being a father. So we see him as a king who happens to be a father, or who happens to be a ruler. Sorry. So we see him as a king who happens to be a father, or a ruler who happens to be a father, or a lord who happens to be a father. Now, he is all of those things. But if we see him primarily as something else who happens to be a father, then we're not understanding him fully because our lens is skewed. And this is the important part. See, he is primarily a father who happens to be king. I don't think I moved then. Uh, Primarily a father who is creator of all. Primarily a father who is lord over all things. It's a subtle change, but it actually has a profound impact on everything in our lives because the reality is that father brings closeness 
All of the rest of the characteristics bring isolation and distance. End of quote. The good news is that Jesus came to show us a God who longed to be our father, our dad. The Holy Spirit encouraged me that first and foremost, God was a father to me and that he wanted me to accept him in that role as father. Father first. He's primarily a dad to me. And so I repented and I believed him. And my relationship with my father has massively changed, improved and deepened since. Secondly, as I've been preparing this role, as the Holy Spirit does, he brought more stuff to mind and he reminded me that I always used to think his role or his only role was to convict me of my sins. And again, part of the problem with that is the same as seeing God as judge. It meant I didn't want to have anything to do with him. You wouldn't want to have anything to do with someone who's going to be like, you did this, you did that, you did this. So I always shied away from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until I heard the Passion Translation of Romans 8, verse 16, that I saw the truth, that I saw who he really was. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. I saw for the first time that Holy Spirit had another very important role. So important. His role is to convince me and remind me and make me believe that God truly is my father. God so wanted me to understand that he is my dad, that he made it the job of the Holy Spirit to continually whisper that truth into my soul. His role is to make real to me that I am God's daughter and he is my dad. That revelation and subsequent repentance, along with the revelation of God being my father first, was a work of the, of the Spirit, securing me both in my relationship with God and my identity as a beloved daughter going forward. And that's the good news of Jesus, and it changed everything for me. So, how has repenting of these things impacted my life? Where's the difference? How do I live differently as a result of the gospel? Uh, there's loads of stuff. Narrowed it down to three things. And there's a nice bit of alliteration for you. Uh, three Ps, prayer, parenting, and prophecy. So firstly, prayer. My prayer life has completely changed. It's not perfect. I wish I prayed a lot more than I ever did, but it's definitely more nourishing. I used to feel like prayer was a duty, something I should be doing as it's the right thing to do, isn't it? It's right that we pray to God. I thought I needed to start my prayers with thanksgiving and adoration before I could ask anything of him. It was quite formal, routine, legalistic and transactional. But believing that God is my father first means that I now see that prayer is just talking to and catching up with my dad. And sometimes it's literally just a brief hello or maybe a little smile in his direction, like that's it. And that's okay. Often it's, quite frankly, a noise of frustration and a quick plea for help. There are times when it's longer periods of time talking to him over a cup of tea or as I fall asleep or when I wake up. As a parent, yes, I do really love longer conversations with my kids when they really open up their heart to me and tell me loads of stuff. Like, I love that. 
but I also enjoy the little things. And parents, you'll get this, you know, when they give you a cheeky little smile in your direction or they see you from afar and they're like, I love you. Um, me and my son have a thing where we grab each other's hand three times instead of saying I love you. So he comes and he does that just to check in. I'm delighted either way, the big stuff or the little stuff. And I've started to see that God also loves any interaction from me, which is directed towards him as dad. And so my prayer life has become more relational and less formal, more like dad and daughter, less like master and servant. Praying feels less like a chore, something I have to do, and more like a joy, something I get to do. Changing my mind about who God is has made praying so much more enjoyable. I want to talk to my dad. And that's the good news lived out. Right, second P, parenting. As Greg and I explored more of the good news and what family looks like in the kingdom, we changed the way that we spoke to our children. And I think the image on the screen just sums up our kind of new approach. Speak to your children as if they are the wisest, kindest, most beautiful and magical humans on the earth. For what they believe is what they will become. The Apostle Paul thought similarly, and he urged people to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And so we consistently remind them that they have been made by God, made in his image, and so they too must be naturally made of really good stuff. We make a clear distinction between the things they do wrong and who they are, separating the wrong action or bad choice from who they are as wonderfully made images of God. We choose to say things like, you're such a kind girl, but that wasn't the kindest thing to do that time. Or you're such a wise boy, you've got so much wisdom, but I don't think that was the best choice that time. We make an effort to praise them for who they are, focusing on their identity, not just their performance and their output. We also try to ground them in the Bible and what God says about them. Both know that when God made humans, uh, when creation, he said it was good, but that when he made humans, and we kind of say, what did he say? And they go, very good. Like, yes, you've got it. We'd also heard in a talk that punishment focuses on the past, but discipline focuses on empowerment for the future. And so we rethought how we disciplined them. We encouraged them to go to the thinking step rather than the naughty step, as made popular by super nanny Jo Frost, if you remember her. We also asked them to think about what they would do differently next time, rather than have them focus on the thing they had just done wrong. So instead of saying, sit there and think about why you hit your sister, we'd say, please, can you sit down and next time you're angry, what are you going to do differently so you don't hit her? What can you do differently next time in your anger? We wanted to empower their future selves to help our kids think through how to make better decisions going forward. Parenting is a long game and it's not always obvious what the fruit will be. But every now and again, you get a little glimpse and it's encouraging. My daughter suddenly started saying that she was the worst person in the world, that nobody wanted to be her friend, she wasn't lovely or good. We had no idea where it came from, didn't come from us, but she suddenly started saying these things. She really meant it and would get upset and we found it pretty upsetting too, hearing her say those things. 
We kept on encouraging her in all the good stuff, telling her that the lies were not true and affirming both who God made her to be and how we see her. But she didn't really seem to believe us. (laughs) She's five. One day I noticed that the house was a bit quiet. She'd been quiet and she'd been up in her bedroom for a while. So I thought I should go and check on her. And when I went in, I saw all of these notes plastered on the wall. And uh, Phoebe had written a load of affirming truths about herself on post-it notes. I'm going to translate them. Sorry. (laughs) I'm going to translate them because they're in five-year-old handwriting and five-year-old language. Um, But they say, I am great. I am good to God. Phoebe is kind. And I am good. She then asked us to add some too. So you can see ours on the next screen. I was so encouraged by her heart and her action. I've practiced this talk so many times and I didn't cry in any of those times. Um, She was rethinking the lies she had been telling herself and chose to believe the truth of who God had made her to be. The kingdom come near has changed how we parent, shaping how we speak to our children and influencing how they see themselves. And it's led to my children starting to learn the skill of repenting, believing and acting differently. The kingdom has come nearer to them too. Final P, anyone remember it? Oh, guys, are you paying attention? Prophecy, well done, Nigel. Gold star for you. Uh, The good news of the gospel has increased my confidence in my ability to hear from God. Prophecy is a gift given to the church family to build each other up. It's a gift for blessing others. But I always thought it was a gift I didn't have and therefore couldn't do and shouldn't do. And then the Holy Spirit drew my attention to this quote by Julian Adams. You do not need to be a prophet to hear God's voice. You just need to be a son. You do not need to be a prophet to hear God's voice. You just need to be a son. And son means son, daughter, child. And from all the previous groundwork that the Spirit had been doing in me, when I heard this, I was like, yes, I am a child of God, so yes, I hear his voice. It made complete sense to me. Of course I can hear my dad's voice. He's my dad. I know his voice just like my children know mine. My spirit agreed with Holy Spirit. And so I just stepped into being more willing to do prophetic stuff. I'm not an expert. I still don't feel like I'm gifted in it, and I get it wrong most of the time. But, but, I don't worry about not being able to hear from God. I know I hear from him and hear his voice. I expect to hear from him because A, he's my dad and he loves to talk to me, and B, I know that he loves to bless his other children, and that's the whole point of prophecy, isn't it? The reality of relationship within the kingdom of God has changed me and changed how I live. So hopefully you can see there's a pattern there that I've repeated several times. The Holy Spirit highlights something. I take notice of it, weigh it up, rethink what's being said and rethink what I've always thought. When we choose to agree with him, to lead into what he is saying, repent and believe, He brings about transformation in our lives and we live differently. The good news is that God is ruling and reigning on the earth once again, 
right now. And we are the primary way he chooses to rule, if we choose to repent and believe. I live out the gospel when I pray to God as dad. I live the kingdom life as I affirm God's truth of my children's identity. I live out the good news as I expect him to talk to me to bless his other children. God's kingdom advances and extends as we rethink it, as we agree with it, and as we live differently. That's how the kingdom comes near, and that's the good news of Jesus. So, what now? So, a few recommendations for you. Uh, The Bible Project has some really awesome stuff on the gospel and the kingdom of God. There's a really great conversation between Tim Mackey and N.T. Wright on the subject of the gospel. Uh, There's a word study, which I think Jack showed you. There's loads of stuff. And it's really helpful, and we can post the links on the website for you to have a look at it. Secondly, I'd really recommend spending some time meditating on the Sermon of the Mount. If you want to know what the kingdom looks like, This is Jesus' sermon where he lays it out. This is the kingdom. Uh, And I think it's Matthew, thanks, Matthew 5 to 7. Um, So do have a look at that. Spend some time on the familiar verses and on the unfamiliar ones. Embrace the stuff you don't understand, the stuff that you don't like, the stuff that annoys you, and ask Holy Spirit to help you see it in a fresh way. Finally, It's a great book called Live Like Jesus by Putty Putman. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It teaches on living like Jesus by thinking how he thought about stuff, doing the stuff that he did, and what the kingdom looks like. And he also overcomes some of the misconceptions that we have of the gospel. So that's what you can be doing. Why don't you stand? I'm going to invite Kyle to come back up. If you just want to stand. As I said earlier... Jesus expected a response to his good news. What about you? How are you going to respond to the good news today? Where might Holy Spirit be inviting you to repent and rethink? Perhaps he's already been saying something to you for a while. Maybe he's popped something into your head today during worship. Maybe it's about how you see him and your relationship with him might be how you view his word or how you regard his church might be how you see yourself or your identity it could be a friendship or a relationship the way you speak or the way you think like me it might be about how you parent or how you do marriage or how you do singleness perhaps it's a lie you believe or a truth you haven't fully embraced And it's funny, Hannah's word, because I spent years believing that I wasn't fun. And God is like definitely doing something in me to say, you are fun, I made you to be fun. But it's a lie that I believe for years. So I now need to embrace the truth that I am fun. That's what God says about me. Maybe it's about how you spend your time, your money or your energy. So why don't you just close your eyes? You might want to put your hands out just to receive from God just pray calm Holy Spirit thank you for what you're doing we just ask for more would you stir hearts show us where we need to repent and believe you thank you
you that we don't have to believe random concepts or intellectual ideas. We believe a person and that person is Jesus. And you are good, you are kind, you are for us, you are with us. And if you've got that thing, why don't you ask God to show you? How might more of the kingdom be within reach and experienced in your day-to-day -day life if you changed your mind on that thing? If you repented and believed him? Ask him now, show me more of what the kingdom looks like, God, I wanna see it. Come Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing. the abundant life that Jack said the gospel is about. We're going to put you on the throne of our lives. What do we need to lay down? Where do we need to repent and believe you? you've been believing have been ingrained for so long and even now you're fighting against them I know that can't be true that can't be true this is who I am but it's not true you are who God says you are you are not who you think you are so we just pray in Jesus name for those people who are fighting those things who are kind of like, oh no, I just can't believe that. It sounds too good to be true. Jesus, we thank you that your gospel is too good to be true. It's bigger and wider and deeper and it covers more stuff than we could ever imagine. We thank you, Jesus, that you fight for us. 